0: Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about America during its revolution. Today's celebrity-driven media exerts more influence on American life than any other institution. We care deeply about what the rich and famous say and do, believe and buy. During the period of the Revolutionary War, The citizens were also interested in the lives of the standard-bearers, but there were differences between then and now. Over 200 years ago, people looked up to those who stood out because of their strong Christian faith and morals. Instead of television, print media, and the Internet, the Protestant church was the force to be reckoned with, the primary trendsetter of standards and ethics. If someone disagreed with its principles and positions, he still had to come to terms with them because they shaped the way everyone lived. Most early Americans owned two books, if they had any at all, the Bible and and The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. There were newspapers, but most of them were only four pages long and contained dated information. Few colonial papers had any significant circulation. What most of the citizens read, in terms of printed material, were sermons. According to Dr. Peter Lilback, in colonial culture, with limited communication besides word-of-mouth, the printed sermon was as influential as our news magazines are today. Sermons were one of the few printed publications. Clearly, most Americans at that time were profoundly committed to Christian principles, and the people they admired were as well, especially the Founding Fathers who initiated the revolution against Great Britain. Included among the founders were the men who created the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution, men such as George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and John Hancock. There were also founding mothers, The women who most influenced revolutionary American life, and who often were connected to the male founders, including Benjamin Franklin's wife Deborah Reed, John Adams' spouse, Abigail, her friend Mercy Otis Warren, and Eliza Pinckney. Virtually all of them were Protestants with a strong faith. Even those who did not subscribe wholly to the Apostles' Creed, a main standard of orthodoxy, still had strong Christian convictions. These were men and women on a mission, those of whom, Professor Martin Marty said, they set out consciously to create an empire, and despite their great diversities, knew considerable success. They set out to attract the allegiance of all the people, to develop a spiritual kingdom, and to shape the nation's ethos, mores, manners, and often its laws. They believed God had called them to create a new nation based on liberty that that is found in Christian principles, and that if they failed, they would be accountable to Him. We look upon these figures today in hindsight from the perspective of victory won more than sacrifices made, but sacrifice they did. They were able to cope as well as they did because of their conviction that they were engaged in a cosmic struggle between good and evil, heaven and hell, and because even if they lost everything, they would gain an eternal home with God When news of the Declaration of Independence spread through the colonies, Massachusetts delegate John Adams wrote to his wife about the joy he felt in being present at the birth of a new nation, conceived in liberty, devoted to the conviction that before God all are equal. He knew, however, the cost of breaking with England would be high. He said It is the will of heaven that the two countries should be sundered forever. It may be the will of heaven that America shall suffer calamities still more wasting and distresses yet more dreadful. For most of the population, the revolution brought its share of trials. Economic privation, British occupation, outbreaks of deadly diseases, a lack of creature comforts as basic as tea, and the heartbreak of sending loved ones off to battle. Americans called upon their deepest reserves of tenacity and faith, including the encouragement of Paul's words to the Roman Church. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8:18. 8, In an article for the Jewish World Review, Jeff Jacoby wrote about the myriad sacrifices made by those who pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor when they signed the Declaration of Independence that set the colonies on the path to war. He said, We tend to forget that to sign the Declaration of Independence was to commit an act of treason and the punishment for treason was death. To publicly accuse King George III of repeated injuries and usurpations, to announce that Americans were therefore absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, was a move fraught with danger, so much so that the names of the signers were kept secret for six months. They were risking everything, and they knew it. Most of the signers survived the war. Several went on to illustrious careers. Two of them became presidents of the United States, and among the others were future vice presidents, senators, and governors. But not all were so fortunate. Nine of the 56 died during the revolution and never tasted American independence, Five were captured by the British. Eighteen had their homes, great estates, some of them, looted or burnt by the enemy. Some lost everything they owned. Two were wounded in battle. Two others were the fathers of sons killed or captured during the war. They were badly outnumbered by the world's greatest army and ill-equipped, but they knew their Bibles, and that God's battles belonged to him. Like David who faced the seemingly invincible Goliath, they remembered his outcome and took courage that they too were doing the Lord's work. According to Peter Marshall and David Manuel, the reason they endured, the reason they believed in God's deliverance was simple. They could believe because their general did believe. Henry Muhlenberg, a Lutheran pastor at the time, said of George Washington, the commander-in-chief, His Excellency General Washington rode around among his army yesterday and admonished each and every one to fear God, to put away the wickedness that has set in and become so general, and to practice the Christian virtues. The Lord God has also singularly, yes, marvelously preserved him from harm in the midst of countless perils, ambuscades, fatigues, etc., and has hitherto graciously held him in his hand as a chosen vessel. Isaac Potts, a Quaker whose home became Washington's headquarters at Valley Forge, once came upon the General on his knees in prayer near his tethered horse. When he got home, Potts told his wife, "'If George Washington be not a man of God, I am greatly deceived, and still more shall I be deceived if God do not, through him, work out a great salvation for America.'" Likewise, many pastors confidently told their congregations God meant for the war to take place because of his divine purposes. One of them, Abraham Cateltus, explained what was happening in cosmic terms, saying the cause of truth against error and falsehood, the cause of pure and undefiled religion against bigotry, superstition and human invention. In short, it is the cause of heaven against hell, of the kind parent of the universe against the prince of darkness and the destroyer of the human race. In that spirit, Americans faced the uncertain future, knowing that a greater place awaited them if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Christians across denominational lines understood there was going to be a coming judgment, and the destiny of all souls was to be heaven or hell, depending on whether or not that person was in fact saved. Thank you for joining me for Inspiration from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.